Hey, Emily. Hey, Greg. I took a reevaluation of my life recently where I decided that staying up till two o'clock in the morning to get first screening reactions for Ready Player One from South by Southwest probably isn't a healthy lifestyle, is what I've decided. I'm pretty proud of you, though. That was a big realization to come to. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, it only took about 40 years for me to realize that I'm living my life the wrong way and that constantly refreshing Twitter to see what people who just came out of a movie screening in Austin, Texas thought is no way to live life. Uh, they liked it uh, for the most part. I think the, the harshest thing I, I saw was that it's nostalgia porn, which is kind of what I expected it to be. But it's new Spielberg and it's geeky stuff. But if it ends up being the worst Spielberg, what does it replace for you on the list of world worst Spielberg? I was very disappointed by Munich. I had high hopes for Munich. Yeah, I would. I, I I found it to be tense. I found the ending, and if you've seen Munich, you know what we're talking about. To be a little over the top. You know top. history. You know how it ends. <laughs> well, yes. Or do and, you? Uh, or do you? Uh, I think for me, the previous attempt at like popcorn fun time movies was uh, the worst uh, he's done, and one of the worst and most disappointing movies I've ever seen, which is Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, mm, that's which a good uh, had Shia LaBeouf as a young Marlon Brando trying to be Harrison Ford, and uh, and Harrison Ford literally sleepwalking through a role and at one point surviving a nuclear blast by hiding in a refrigerator. Other than that, great movie. <laughs> Exactly. Coming up on ESPN on Ice this week, we've got Alex Ovechkin uh, getting to that 600-goal mark and joining an elite group of 20 players in NHL history. Plus, we've got uh, a debate on goalie interference and all that good stuff. Puck headlines, Mike Russo from The Athletic, and the one and only Sean Thornton from the Florida Panthers. So uh, let's get to it. From the ice to your earbuds, a podcast about hockey. Featuring things to do with hockey. From your friends at ESPN, it's ESPN On Ice with Wachinski and Kaplan. Hey everybody, it's ESPN On Ice. It's the podcast where ESPN covers hockey. I'm Greg Wachinski, senior NHL writer. I'm Emily Kaplan, a national NHL reporter. And these are two people that are really happy that Alex Ovechkin scored goal number 600 while playing on the East Coast. Because otherwise it would have been a... It was good late for the night. media. It was very good for the media. Good for our editors. Good for us. Uh, we hope that you able, were able to check out ESPN this week uh, after Ovechkin scored goal number 600, because not only did you have the news story, not only did you have a, a quiz about Ovechkin's goal-scoring prowess and Super career. Super hard quiz. It wasn't easy. Uh, I was very encouraged, uh, by the way. The Part of the, the cool thing about doing these quizzes on ESPN is that you can hop inside and see what the answers were for different things. So while uh, while Ovechkin's 65-goal uh, season broke the highest previous mark by Dennis Marouk of the Washington Capitals, uh, the most people on that question answered that he broke his own record, which I thought was good. A bit of trickeration on my part on that question. It's pretty much the bird's nest soup of HQ. Oh, there it is! Every time I hop on HQ now, people making the bird's nest soup reference to that. It was what, like question two, I think it was, for the the Sunday jackpot one. That I think By so. the way, so do you believe, because here's the theory. I, I saw an interview with the guy who won the $25,000 HQ prize. That he was uh, on the by, toilet. By himself on the toilet. The the popular theory here in the uh, in the household with me and Ruby was that that this person is a plant. And uh, and that the game tied up so tidily and quickly 
uh, that uh, that he's a plant and the money will just go back in the, in the hopper for HQ. Your thoughts? Hot take. I still just try to figure out where they're getting money from. I think it's from native advertising. Like, I think there's someone who's going to come out with a brand of bird's nest soup soon. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I could see him being a plant. I, I think there's something fishy about HQ. Like, how did it come out of nowhere and just captivate all of our imaginations in such a beautiful way? Oh, I think that's the easy. I mean, where the money comes from is the hard part, but the easy part is that it's obviously some kind of a, a, a hideous Black Mirror episode, and at some <laughs> point they're gonna all, they're gonna push a button while we're all playing that Sunday game, and then our eyes burn out of our heads. Uh, my eyes burned out of my heads watching Alex Ovechkin score 600 goals in his nice. career. I think I've probably seen about, I'd say probably about 450 of them. Uh, you know, give or take a few. And, uh, so he scores 599 in classic Ovechkin's fashion with the, uh, the shot from the OV spot on the power play. And then he scores the second one also in classic Ovechkin fashion <laughs> in the sense that he took multiple shots <laughs> to score it. And it was you're, just you're, like a really bum rebound. Your thoughts on Alex Ovechkin joining, uh, 20 other players in NHL history to score 600 goals in his career? I think it's awesome. And I, I just want to go back to that game for a second. I just think the fashion that it happened was amazing because the whole storyline about that game was everyone was like, meet the guy who's going to be the next Alex Ovechkin. And Alex was like, whoa, 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 hold up. I'm still the guy. At Morning Skate, everyone's like, what do you look at when you see Patrick Laine? Do you see a young Alex Ovechkin? And he's like, I'm still young, incredulously. That, like someone <laughs> would even ask that. So I just think it was kind of cool um, that he's just defying odds again and saying, look, y'all wrote me off many many times you thought last season that um i was toast i had to adapt to today's game and here i am and i think he's gonna go for gretzky i really do i think the factors we outlined last week that might keep him away maybe the desire to play in the olympics his desire to play back home but you know maybe if he wins the cup pretty soon in some ridiculous fantasy world uh (laughs) he will retire sooner but um i I think that the the pace he's going i he totally has a shot as crazy as that is First of all, not a fantasy world. All they need to do is have someone clear the road of the Penguins so they don't have to go through Pittsburgh to try to win in the playoffs. Uh, it does remind me, as you said, that uh, it reminds me of like when Jay-Z drops an album and the whole bit is that like, you know, all these other rappers stepping to me and trying to take my crown and here's my album and it, I'm still, I'm still dropping fat beats and rhymes uh, to be the best <laughs> rapper alive. This is Ovechkin every single year when somebody tries to say that he's done. But now the difference, like you mentioned, is that it's not simply that that people were saying that he was done. It's that there's another guy coming to take his crown. And I don't know necessarily think we've had that before. Crosby's dealt with that a bunch. Remember remember the big uh, brouhaha one year when Peter Laviolette dared to say that Claude Giroux was the best player in the world. And then, <laughs> you know, Sid versus McDavid and the whole thing. I don't think Ovechkin's necessarily had a contender uh, to his throne quite like this in Patrick Laine, and especially one that uh, is so outwardly uh, admitting that he wants to take down Ovechkin's records and be more successful than Alex Ovechkin. It's a very cool thing for hockey to have that right now. My favorite thing about Patrick Laine is, as y'all know, I used to cover, I don't know why I said y'all like four times in this. Y'all, y'all, y'all know I used to cover the football, right? I used to cover the football teams, but in football and basketball, it's so common for draft prospects to say like, I'm the number one guy in the draft, right? Or I deserve to go first. And when Patrick Laine came out and said it and said, I think that I'm going to go ahead of, I deserve to go ahead of Austin Matthews, the entire yeah. hockey world was like, who is this psychopath and what is wrong with him? <laughs> right. And like, it was just such a refreshing candor. And I think he has that. Apparently he shows it much more in his native tongue. If he's speaking Finnish, he has a lot more personality, but 
here's a guy I think is going to be a rock star and I think will captivate America, uh, you know, even the casual hockey fan in the playoffs, mainly because they're going to be saying, what is on his neck and is that a real beard and, and where did that come from? <laughs> It's it's Billy Goatish and its comportment. Uh, I think he I think you know he first captured my heart the day of the uh, draft lottery selection when he did an interview on on FaceTime on his phone while lying on what looked like a hotel floor and it was this sort of like laconic you know you know I'm going to be the best player in the draft and you know you know Austin Matthews is pretty good but I can score more goals than Austin Matthews and and at that point I'm just like. This is the kid. This is it. Whoever gets this kid is going to be in, in great shape because he's going to be a star. But he's the right kind of star for Winnipeg. Like when Ovechkin needed to be an outward personality and, and the Capitals kind of took on that personality and they all became rock stars, there are no rock stars in Winnipeg. Rock stars leave Winnipeg to become rock stars. Like he is the perfect guy in the sense that he's sort of low-key but also says really interesting things and is obviously going to score just a – Metric crap ton of goals for that team uh, going forward. Will he ever pass Ovechkin? That's probably more of an era-specific question as to whether or not we're going to have the same kind of hockey, you know, in five or ten years as we do now. But the question you brought up that we addressed on ESPN.com this week: Will Gretzky's record fall to Alex Ovechkin? And what was your take on that? I think that he's going to come close. Um, and like I said, it's the factors at play. But I think. The pace that he's scoring at, and we have to remember, like Gretzky scored an error where he was getting like eighty and ninety, you know, goals a season. It's insane. Um, but the pace that Alex Ovechkin's going at, it's going to take time. But if he's committed and he stays healthy, uh, he's got a shot. The healthy part's the interesting part for me because he is, of course, a Russian machine, <laughs> and uh, and one assumes that that even though your body does start to break down a little bit as you get older, one assumes he's going to have enough games. Eight years. 36 goals a year would get it done. A lot of it does depend on like how much he banks in the next couple of years before the scoring rates are going to drop. But I think he's got a shot. And again, like when I was a kid, the Gretzky record was never unapproachable. It was always something that if Mario was healthy, he could have break it, broken it. If, if Yager didn't uh, lose a you know, bunch of seasons to the KHL under labor stoppages, he could have broken it. So the idea that Ovechkin could break it is, uh, is uh, feasible. Until you realize that some Canadian will Tanya Harding him before he has a chance <laughs> to break Gretzky's record when he's like 40. Yeah, that's exactly what's going to happen. Uh, moving on in our uh, open eye segment, the other big topic of conversation this week was goalie interference as it's been every week, well, I'd say for the last 30 years. Uh, so the thing that the NHL said this week that it was interesting was that they don't want people talking about it anymore. They put an edict uh, to the coaches and the general managers behind the scenes, coming from Colin Campbell, uh, a vice president president with the NHL, to stop complaining about it. You know, we're going to figure it out eventually, maybe not now, maybe this summer, but stop complaining about it is what the NHL says to its coaches. But to me, it's like the only time we ever get anything done in this league is if people complain about it, is if there is a national fervor from the fans the pundits and the people within the game to get something fixed is when we get it fixed so the idea that they should stop carping about it is something i don't agree with i'm totally with you and it's one of those things where fans are all thinking it right they're asking us questions i don't know what it is one night it's something one night it's another thing and then when cam talbot comes out and is like some nights it's something, some nights it's another thing. It totally validates the fans' opinions. It's like, you know what? I'm not crazy watching this game. The players are feeling frustration too. And next week, there's a board of 
I don't always want to call it the Board of Governors because I love saying Board of Governors, <laughs> but it's just a GM's meeting, but it's in just Florida. Just GM's, yeah. And no doubt in my mind this is going to come up, and I think it's because of this groundswell of public criticism. So, yeah, it's an embarrassing look for the league. At the same time, it's an embarrassing look when you have an issue like this that is just befuddling everyone. It is, but again, like I come back to the fact that it's going to keep on befuddling people because the bottom line is that it's a subjective call. Everybody's going to have their own opinion on what it's going to be. And while I know that none of us really want to agree with Gary Bettman, and I'll swallow the bile to do so now, he's kind of right in the sense that like, if we're going to have this thing, it needs to just be the clear, broadly defined goalie interference. The ones that are so obvious are the ones that get, you know, whistled or reviewed or whatever. And when we, when we go on the, on the, on the, on the stupid tablet and we're looking at it by the penalty box and we're, and we're looking for a bunch of minutiae on a play, that's really where the problems come in. Because now, now you're getting into even a, a more, you know, like just laser focused form of, of minutiae and subjectivity. So, I, you know, as far as fixes this season, the only one I can think of that's going to make any sense is for the referees and the officials to take their cue from Batman and take their cue from the NHL and just call the broad stuff and not, and not in his words, overthink it, which I know is kind of like, you know, middling and, 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 and not really the, the point of what this all should be. But at this point, it's the only band aid we can put on the problem. Yeah, that was actually going to be my last point, so I'll wrap it up quickly. But it was at the All-Star game when Gary Bettman said, I think we just need to not overthink it and go with the obvious call. And I feel like ever since he said that, it hasn't been the case. So I think it's just going to take a wholesale philosophical change and and really saying, just go with your gut. And I know that sounds crazy, and I know it's about rules, but just go with what looks obvious. But at the end of the day, to go back to y'all working in the NFL like you did, isn't it, isn't it pass interference? Like, isn't this just going to be what it is? And, 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 you know, no two referees are going to make the same call and, and it's a game changing call. And the only thing we can hope for is that they get it right as best they can. Yeah, it's inherently subjective, but I think we can boil it down a little bit, uh, to make it a little more clear. That's all I got. Y'all. I don't, I don't, I don't know y'all. I think that, <laughs> I think, I think the real, the real discussion that needs to happen at the GM meetings and at the board of governors meetings is whether or not we even want this in the, in the coaches challenge, uh, review process anymore. Cause honestly, like if we're, we've already, we've always had these debates, the calls are always going to be wrong, you know, in some way, shape or form. But now it's kind of gotten to the point where you're looking at something and it's all almost been elevated to the point where you want to believe that they can get the call right because they have video in front of them, but it's still subjective at the end of the day. They've been talking about this for 30 years. They'll keep talking about it. There's no standard unless it's simply just like the black or white don't enter the crease kind of thing. um, Then you're never going to get anything but this subjective thing. And I don't want that. I I think that's, that's bad for the game. The uh, make the crease sankrasak thing, even if the goalies think it's probably the best way to go. But everybody's angry. Nobody has any answers. And this is why Gary Bettman and the Board of Governors and the GMs all get paid the big bucks to figure this nonsense out. All right. Now it's time for our extra attacker. Joining us on the line is a senior writer for The Athletic, who you might read if you ante up your money and pay to read it. It's Mike Russo, our old friend who covers the Minnesota Wild and the NHL at large. And he joins us here on ESPN and Ice. Uh, how are you, Russo? How's, how's paywall life treating you? Uh, great. I have discount go- uh, codes up the yin-yang if you want it. I can uh, reel off about ten of them. <laughs> We're both subscribers. You don't need to sell us. <laughs> oh, but you could definitely so you do You want to hear a quick story? So, yeah, please. so this week, finally, for the first time, the Wild are going to Vegas. Mm-hmm. So I'm... 
all these wild fans have been tweeting me like, are you going to have a meetup? Are you going to have a meetup? So I'm like, yeah, actually, that's not a bad idea. I think I'll have a spur of the moment because I don't know my, you know, I don't know what my gambling runs will be like or my interviews, you know, because I am there for working. So I'm like, I don't know when I could do it. So I, I, what I've been tweeting is that I'm going to have a spur of the moment, like wild fan meetup at some point Thursday. So then I started to think, I'm like, I, you know, there's so many wild fans going. I mean, like thousands. It's crazy. Yeah. That I'm like, I guarantee not a lot of them are subscribers. So I sent the note to the athletic and I'm like, hey, you know, any chance I can give a discount code to these people that might want to subscribe, they meet up. And they, they sent me an actual discount code for 40% off to just like literally hand people as I'm buying them beers at this meetup. Now, you do understand that with the thousands of wild fans there and with your immense popularity from your days with the Minneapolis Star Tribune, this may not be a meetup, sir. This may be a flash mob. You may actually have a <laughs> no, flash mob true. on your hands. I might have to buy two beers for the people that have blocked on Twitter. So, <laughs> All right. Well, Michael, I've got to know because I'm so fascinated by how all teams are treating their Vegas trip. What is uh, Bruce Boudreaux's strategy? Is he uh, staying off the strip? Is he telling them not to party? I, I think I saw something about a, a curfew that may or may not be a joke. Yeah, he walks in. So uh, here's, here's another great story. So I'm, I'm uh, doing a... Uh, a sit-down tomorrow night with Daniel Negreanu. And I, I think everybody that follows me in Minnesota knows that I'm a poker fanatic. So I'm, I'm, I've had him on my radio show before, and so I'm sitting down with him. But then I, a couple of the wild players found out that I was meeting up with them, so they wanted they wanted to know, hey, if he's coming to the wild game on Friday, can you get him post-game passes? So I'm in their team services office, office today, and um, this is after Boudreaux had his uh, press availability. And so I'm I'm setting up getting Negreanu post-game passes. And all of a sudden, I feel the shadow behind me. And I turn around, and it's Boudreaux just staring at me. And he, goes, make sure, he goes, make sure you write that not only are we having a 7 p.m. curfew Thursday, but we're, our flight leaves here at 6 p.m. So, <laughs> so uh, you know, he uh, I, I think he was kidding, but I can already tell he's getting uptight for that trip. Uh, you know, he's even talking about, honestly, if the Wilds somehow fall into the top wild card spot and play Vegas in the first round, if they have multiple uh, days between games, uh, they they actually might leave Vegas and go practice maybe Palm Springs no. or somewhere else. So, yeah. That well, would that's be phenomenal. That, yeah, it would be. Uh, actually, I don't, I'm a, ba- a Vegasaholic, but, but I, I actually wouldn't mind getting away and going to Palm Springs. It, it defeats it the other city, Winnipeg. <laughs> That's very true. They have um, no Wi-Fi there, so it'd be tough to do any work. No Wi-Fi, yeah, no exactly. parks. I'm just kidding. I actually uh, I, I love going up to Winnipeg, but if you had a choice between Winnipeg, Nashville, and Vegas, which are the three choices for the Wild if they make the playoffs, I think we all know. Even the people in Winnipeg know what they choose. Yeah, you choose Winnipeg, the Nash Vegas of Canada. Russo, the, yeah, exactly. the the Wild are right now in the three seed. They got 85 points, 13 games remaining. Probably not moving up to catch the Jets. Like you said, they're, they're three points up, I believe, on the, on the stars right now and five up on the last wild card spot. You think they're locked into that three seed? Do you think there's any concern they could drop to the wild card? And if they don't, what's that first round matchup against Winnipeg look like? Yeah. I mean, it could be ugly. Uh, you know, <laughs> just because they're, they're so deep. I mean, my God. And the wild this year really haven't gotten that, that, that you know, last year the wild, boasted all season long about how balanced they were and deep scoring they were and they were you know have franchise record goals and everybody was just scoring and scoring and scoring and this year they've been pretty much led by Stahl, Zucker and Gramlin and that's it and so I, I don't think it'd be uh, a great matchup for them and 
And, look, the Wild do have two games, two games in a row, actually, later this month against the Dallas Stars, and that really could set the table. And it's funny, I mean, and the Dallas Stars and the Minnesota Wild end their three games, end their season with three games out in California on basically yeah. the exact same trip. So they could all be jockeying to lose to play Vegas. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, let's be honest. Uh, I think, you know, even selfishly or just what's the easiest road, I, I think that both teams would – hand on the Bible, say it's, it'd be easier going through the Pacific and avoiding Nashville or Winnipeg in the first round. And, and what scares you about Winnipeg is that they're big, they're fast, they're deep. Um, I do think that you can expose their blue line, but the problem is if, you're in, if, if you have Winnipeg in your offensive zone all night long, how do you even expose their blue line? And I, So I just don't like the matchup for the Wild. Um, and, and this year has been pretty much an ugly year uh, between Minnesota facing Winnipeg. Uh, in fact, one of the worst losses of the season, or the first worst loss of the season, was was back right after Thanksgiving in Winnipeg. So, yeah. you know, guys like Bufflin and Blake Wheeler and Shifley and Ellers, they just, even Matthew Perot, uh, seem to light the Wild up for fun. Um, you know, the one guy the Wild actually have done, at least so far, a great job against is, is Patrick Liney. Um, yeah. But it, it, I just think the matchup does not uh, behoove the Wild. Everybody's all sleeping on Vegas. I'm telling you, man, Vegas is going to be good for one round. And then, and then in the second round, it's all going to hit him at one, at one, like a, like a ton of bricks. Oh my God. We're a scant few wins away from winning the cup. That's when they're all going to, they're going to fall apart in the second round. First round, they're going to, they're going to be a buzzsaw. Second round's when they fall apart. You know, and, and I, I I don't disagree with you there. I, I just, um, I, I definitely think that the easiest road is Pacific. And, and the other thing is the Wild have beaten uh, Vegas twice here at home. They're, they're playing there for the first time. So, uh, you know, that's kind of also fresh in my mind. And then, you know, there is the absolute selfishness that I want to go to Vegas. For Damn time. right. Ve- Vegas national final. Every hockey writer in existence wants it. I got one la- oh more for God. you, buddy, uh, which is, you know, this Eric Stahl thing. Eric Stahl being one of at least 75 players at last count that is up for the Hart Trophy this year uh, <laughs> on somebody's ballot. Where the hell did this come from? This dude was 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 all, was did quite well last season, a bit of a renaissance. Uh, but now the goal scoring totals are off the charts for Eric Stahl. Where where on earth did this come from for this guy? Yeah, 18 goals in the last 21 games going into tonight's game against Colorado, and and he. Uh, yeah, I, I will say that last last summer, so not this past summer, but the summer before, when when the Wild were doing their recruiting process, when they absolutely needed a center, Bruce Boudreaux called Stahl during that five day legal tampering period, and basically said to him, "Look, this is where you should come, and I'm going to give you all the opportunity in the world to play with great players, and I think I still believe in you. I remember the Eric Stahl that used to play Carolina Washington when he coached there, and and so far, they you know Stahl promised Boudreaux, look, it's I come there, I, I promise you that you're going to get a different player than you saw at the end of Carolina and, and certainly the Rangers' playoff series. And they both lived up to their promises. Eric has gotten every opportunity to play with great players. And, and what I give him a ton of credit for is he's been the one center on this team that hasn't had consistent line mates all year long. He's played with absolutely everybody. He's done so without complaining. And, and he just keeps on scoring. And, again, 18 goals in the last 21 games. He's five goals from – Setting, uh, matching Marion Gavrick's all-time record here, and he just looks like a completely uh, different player. It was scary the other day when he said that he feels like more confident now goal scoring than he's ever felt in his career for a guy that's had, you know, huge years early in his career. So, it's to me, it's just a great story because it just shows that a lot of us were wrong. A lot of us that maybe thought that he was washed up or couldn't get up and down the ice anymore. Now all of a sudden we're talking the wild, like how the heck are you going to extend this guy this summer? Uh, which yeah. just says everything about the year that that Eric's having. 
It really has. I know the Rangers thought he was done. Uh, Mike Russo, <laughs> thank you so much for your time, man. Tell people where they can find your genius. Uh, theathletic.com. And uh, if you follow Minnesota or, or the Wild, you'll definitely get me. And it's really cool what we've built here just in five months. We've been one of the athletics' most productive markets. And, uh, and again, if you, if, you, if you need to subscribe and you want a discount code, just tweet me and I'll figure out a way to get you on. <laughs> I heard media critic Richard Deitch believes that it is the best media website. <laughs> yeah, I know. And, yeah, and I, I just think it's going to be awesome. Like, we are growing now, too. We're about to go into – we're in the works of maybe going into two or three more hockey markets uh, right before the playoffs here. And, and I will say that by training camp next year, we hope to be in every market. And uh, and uh, it's just it's just continuing to grow. And, and I just – I mean, there's been – it's been the most – I mean, Greg, you know how much I love being a newspaper guy, and I love you do. the Star Tribune. and. And uh, and the newspaper itself, and and but I, it's been the most refreshing job I've ever had. It's just creatively, it's just uh, such a breath of fresh air when every night you can write and not have deadline constraints and space constraints and kind of you know spread your spread your wings so to speak and have autonomy. It's just been awesome. Awesome. Thanks for your time, Mike, and we'll see you on the road, yep. buddy. Yep. See you, Emily. The best uh, beat writer for my money in existence. I have a fun story about Mike Russo. My first job offer ever uh, in college was to be a Minnesota Wild beat writer for the St. Paul Pioneer Press. Did I ever oh, tell really? you this? No, you didn't. And uh, they flew me out in January, and they wanted me to start right away. And one of the things was you have to go against Russo, and everyone's like, oh, I don't know. Like, you know, that's going to be really hard. And I was totally game to do it, but they wanted me to start right away. So I was like, Mom, I'm going to go turn pro. And my mom's like, no, you're not. You're going to go get your degree. So I turned down the job. Oh, man. You could have been LeBron. You could have made the leap. LeBron. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. All right. Coming up next, Sean Thornton. We'll be right back after this. I love sports. I just wish they could be with me always. They say you don't choose the app. The app chooses you. It is everything I could ever want in a sports companion. It can stream the games and shows that I love, and it's there whenever I need it. I never thought... I could find an app that loves sports as much as I do. Until now. Download the ESPN app to stream ESPN Radio and all the ESPN networks now. Now joining us is Sean Thornton, the Vice President of Business Operations for the Florida Panthers. Sean, the last time I talked to you, it was over the summer. It was right before the season. And a lot of people don't realize that you had a really unusual path where you went right from being a player to a business executive. And you told me the biggest adjustment for you was two things. One was a sleep schedule, and two was, like, learning Excel. So I want to know how you're doing on both of those. I found somebody to do the Excel for me. Excellent. And uh, sleep, the sleep is no better. Mm. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Because it was the lack of naps, right? <laughs> no more naps. I catch up on the weekends, actually. I've gotten used to it, though. I, uh, I'm used to it now. The problem is my daughter's up at 5, 5.30 every morning. So uh, that, that's where the lack of sleep comes in and not being able to nap during the day as a player. But I'm used to it now. I just catch up on weekends. That'll take do us it through. You. Take us through what you're doing with, with the Panthers these days. Uh, a little bit of everything. Marketing, PR, game presentation, community relations, foundation, uh, some corporate partnership stuff. Uh, yeah, that's uh, – I'm not sure if that's enough for you guys, but uh, I'm, in a, I'm in on a lot of in on a lot of everything. Um, was kind of put in place as the the point person for the the tragedy down here um, a few weeks ago, uh, and tried to manage how uh, we as an organization were going to uh, support and help out. Um, 
behind the scenes. Uh, yeah, a lot, a lot to do with, uh, yeah, all that stuff. You, you name it, I'm, I'm in on it. Uh, it's nice that we have a very young front office, so I get to be more involved than maybe I would be anywhere else, uh, and I'm really enjoying it. Yeah, that was one of the things I wanted to ask you about. I talked to Roberto Luongo last week, and he said you were mentioning a lot of the things you guys are doing behind the scenes with the Parkland, um, especially their high school hockey team, which obviously won the state championship. So I'm just curious, you know, what was that kind of initial reach out in? And, and you know, you say, hey, we're here if you need us. You know, how did that relationship develop, and what type of stuff are you guys doing with them? Uh. I mean, what what isn't out there, I'll keep behind the scenes. Sure. Um, but listen, when this happened, it was we reached out to everybody here knows somebody that was affected, um, knows somebody whose you know child goes to that school or is neighbors with somebody that goes to that school or uh, you know one of my neighbors on my street is has been a teacher there for eighteen to twenty years. So everybody knows somebody that that's there. Uh, so through all our channels, we just communicated quietly that whatever you guys need we're here for uh if you if you hear that somebody needs something let us know and we'll try and do whatever we can to make it happen whether it's uh you know going to bring the hockey team in and not showing them on tv and putting them in a suite and then bringing them down to to meet the guys or um you know anybody wants to come for three hours just to get away and get their heads out of the stuff that's happened and just want to focus on watching a hockey game for for a few hours and have a few beers and a suite and you know uh not the kids went to high school obviously or the parents but <laughs> just, like you know we're we're there for anything we've had some stuff that we've done behind the scenes that um maybe they'll get out there one day maybe they won't but we don't really care that's not why we're doing it we're just listen this happened right in our backyard and like i said we know a lot of people that were affected and we're just trying to support in any way possible yeah, it sounds like you guys are very sort of cognizant of the idea that, that you know you don't want to you want to toe the line and and not make it in any way seem like it's some level of self promotion or exploitation, huh? Yeah, I, I mean, I would not be able to look myself in the mirror uh, if there was any sort of exploitation uh, coming from our end. Uh, very very sensitive to that. Uh, for me personally, I mean, I went through it. To somewhat of a degree uh, in Boston when the when the bombings happened, uh, I saw how the Red Sox and the Bruins uh, reacted behind the scenes with all that stuff, and uh, I still have a lot of friends in both those organizations, and we reached out to for some guidance along the way to see uh, how they've approached things, and we've got we've gotten some great advice, um, and you know we're we're all still learning, but uh, I think that we've gone about it. Uh, gone about it the right way so far i'm trying anyways we're trying i saw i saw bettman at the uh, mit sloan conference in boston and he talked about it was a few days after parkland and and you know like i rarely see that guy show human emotion to be quite honest but he he had it in talking about it because he was talking about how morbid it is that there's a template for this not only for what you went through in boston but now what the panthers went through you could go to vegas and ask them how they dealt with it for their home opener after the shootings there. and we did and we did yeah. we reached out to them as well it, yeah it's absolutely stunning that in 2018 like n- now there's a template for it it's like what what happens when there's a massive tragedy in your community well you take the ads off the board you do this and that it's it's incredible to me that's where we are as a society yeah it is it's disgusting you're 100 percent correct um what I will say is that, you know, for what it's worth is that these kids are amazing. They've been so strong. They've been, you know, uh, so courageous and brave and 
out there really trying to make a change and they have a voice and they're using it and you know they're they're smart articulate uh well educated kids that are probably mature beyond their years and never should have had to gone through this but they're trying to fix the problem and they're they're using this uh unfortunate tragedy and trying to make the most uh change uh out of what happened uh so you know very proud of every kid that that went through this and uh you know dealing with it in their own way well, there's no easy transition out of this and just, you know, keep it up. But I know you guys are doing the right thing. But I did want to ask you about Thank the Panthers, because as we're recording this on March 13th, uh, they're one of the hottest teams in the NHL. They're making an incredible run towards the playoffs. And I'm just curious, what do you see clicking? Obviously, you played with them for the last three years of your career. You know these guys well. You know, what's gelling? Well, I mean, we have a young team that had a lot of moving parts uh, over the summer and brought in some pieces and I think whenever you do that it, it takes a little time to gel we have new coaching staff a new system I think uh, you're also asking the person that has no clue what's going on on the hockey side anymore because I'm still focused <laughs> on the business side but uh, as somebody that played for a little bit uh, it looks like you know over the last couple of months the team's really bought into the system that the coach and staff wants them playing and, and they're all playing the same way they seem to be playing as a cohesive unit they've They've gotten healthy over the last little bit as well. Um, I think we actually have too many bodies now that uh, the coaching staff is having those uh, good, tough problems to have on who you're going to put in every night. So uh, they seem to be playing hard. They seem to be playing for each other. I know that the locker room genuinely really likes each other. Uh, they have some good chemistry in there, and I know that always helps. I'd be remiss if I didn't ask about your, uh, your, your former place of NHL employment, which is, of course, the Boston Bruins. When you were playing um, and looking at what he's become now, do you ever marvel at the progression in, in the career of Brad Marchand as far as what he's become as a goal scorer? No, no, not at all, actually. Uh, I had the pleasure of playing with him for the first 20 games of the year uh, in 2010-11. Um, he played with myself and Gregory Campbell and then quickly moved up to be by uh, Bergeron, where he's been ever since, and no, I always said that, you know, his reputation probably takes away from how skilled he is uh, on the outside looking in. Now, if you practice and play with him every day, you know how, how good of a hockey player he is. I think his reputation kind of dwarfed that a little bit. So, uh, you know, points are points. Uh, some years are better than others. I mean, obviously he's having an amazing year this year. Uh, but I, I'm not surprised at all by, by what he's doing. He he's I really believe that he was that type of player from – well, I'll say day two because maybe not day one, but day two. <laughs> do you do you ever do you ever think that he could be that player without the other stuff, or do you think the other stuff needs to be a part of of who he is? It's a fine line, right? I think he actually uh, he really embraces that part of it, and it gets him going some days. Uh, that that fiery edge is what makes him so competitive, and that's probably what gives him a little bit of extra energy to win those puck battles. And you know, there's not too many of them, and I've played against him on the other side that. That I'm a lot bigger and stronger than him. But he is he is relentless when he wants that puck, and that has something to do with his overall personality. So, yes and no. I mean, the agitating part. Uh, I'm sure people would like him to settle that down every once in a while, but it's also part of the fire that uh, that drives him. So, as an NHL fan, one of the things I'm sorely missing this year is Yamir Yager. And I know I think you guys overlapped in <laughs> Boston, but you definitely uh, played with him in his last couple of years in Florida. Can you tell me your favorite Yarmir Yager story? Oh, put me on the spot. Yarmir Yager. 
I figured I'd get yeah, the best response. I did. I did, uh, I did overlap with him in Boston, um, and I, obviously I played uh, played with him in Florida. Favorite? I don't know if I have a favorite, but I have I have one that probably sums up the difference between him and me. Uh, we were in Boston. I don't know if it was last year or the year before, and I was coming in from dinner with my buddies at around, uh, we'll say 10 o'clock so I don't get in trouble. Um, <laughs> and I probably had, you know, four or five beers and maybe a bottle of wine and maybe a nightcap after that, and I was walking in feeling fine. I was going to have a good night's sleep, and uh, he was on his way to the gym. So that, <laughs> that explains what our different lifestyle choices. Uh, that, that might be the clearest indication right there. That's awesome. Sean, I got I got one more for you, and and it's about uh, yep. one of the things that made you obviously a fan favorite during your time in the NHL, which is uh, fighting. Hockeyfights.com tracks this stuff, and we are on track right now for a year in which we will have less than 300 fights in a season, which will be an historic low. Uh, less than 20 percent of games with a fight, another historic low. Uh, I, I guess first, did you ever think we get to this point in the game where fighting is? And I guess your thoughts. You know, having kind of made your bones as, as an enforcer in this league to think of of, of fighting kind of uh, organically leaving it at this point. Yeah, I don't think it'll ever completely be gone. Um, I knew the days of the one-dimensional player uh, were definitely on the way out. Um, and that's, I think, a big reason why it's uh, it's gone down. And I'm actually okay with that. I, I mean, I, I'm well aware I wasn't the most skilled NHLer, but, uh, you know, I'm also... I never thought that I was the guy that had to go out there and play one minute and fight somebody and not play another shift. Uh, I was fortunate enough to, you know, get 10 goals one year and limited ice time and try to contribute in other ways. So, uh, but you know, the days of just thinking about it all day, the six foot seven monster, you're going to have to line up beside and get punched in the face and he wasn't going to get another shift. And if you're lucky, you got some more. Uh, I'm actually okay with those days being gone. Uh, but I still think there's a place for it in the game. I think, you know, intimidation is a, a part of life. Uh, I mean, people walk into the office and they're looking around the room to see who's going to be the boss and who isn't and who has leverage, who doesn't. Uh, so to think that it's not a part of a game that's moving around at 30 miles per hour with no out of bounds, I, I think you're crazy. Um, I think that sometimes fighting is uses the release of the, the pressure cooker as well. So I think it'll always be there. Uh, we'll see. I think this will level out, and sometimes it's cyclical. Sometimes it'll come back a little bit. But um, I, I know that it's been on a steady decline the last few years. Uh, I don't think it'll go back to where it was, but I wouldn't say it's going to be completely gone. I, I really don't think so. And maybe I'm sound archaic in thinking that, but I, I think it's always going to be part of the game. Indeed. Sean, you're the best. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. And uh, hopefully uh, we hear more from, from you and from the team on the Parkland stuff. It's been really been inspiring to see how the communities rallied for those kids. Thanks. I appreciate that, guys. Sean Thornton, ladies and gentlemen, a fan favorite if ever there was one for his time with the Boston Bruins and his time with the Florida Panthers. And now it's time for our favorite segment. Phil Kessel loves hot dogs. No, he does not love to eat hot dogs. Good one, Randy. Oh. Good one. <laughs> So our worlds were shaken, I would say, would be the the word I would use. By no, my life was validated is what I would say. <laughs> All right. Okay, so, here's the thing. Go ahead. I, I've got yeah, a thing. So here's my thing. Amanda Kessel is on this media blitz, which she wholly deserves after she won gold at the Olympics. And as part of it, she does a Twitter Q&A. And a bunch of people rightfully ask her, does your brother actually like hot dogs? 
And she says, as you heard in the clip, no, Phil doesn't really like hot dogs, which was fine. But I was super disappointed in the amount of people who tweeted at me and Greg and said, whoa, you guys have to change your segment now. Yeah, the whole point of the segment is that he doesn't love hot dogs. I don't know if you guys picked up on that. It's about media takes that we think are ridiculous because they're built on false prem, prem What's the plural of premises? Is it premi, prem, premi or is it premises? False pre. False pretenses. It's definitely premises, but now I'm going to say premi. False premi. And so the fact that Phil Kessel does not love hot dogs is in keeping with the theme of the segment. Because the whole point was that he didn't go to the hot dog vendor every day of his life outside of his apartment to scarf down wieners uh, whilst he was playing for the Toronto Maple Leafs. So we thank Amanda Kessel for her her bravery and in, in reaffirming the nonsense that is Phil Kessel loves hot dogs. Yeah, Amanda Kessel, once a friend of the pod, always a friend of the pod. Thank you for reaffirming that for us. A true patriot, and now like Phil Kessel, a champion. Now it's time for Puck Headlines. Dateline Raleigh. Tom Dundun is reportedly (laughs) looking at Mike Fuda, former Canucks assistant general manager Lawrence Gilman, and New Jersey assistant GM Tom Fitzgerald, among others, to replace GM Ron Francis. Fuda from the Los Angeles Kings has apparently told the uh, the uh, Hurricanes, according to Elliot Friedman, that he will not be leaving that franchise, did not want to leave in the middle of the season. Carolina obviously looking to hire somebody right now. Is there anybody on your wish list that you'd like to see become the Carolina Hurricanes GM? Firstly, I never made the connection that Tom Dundon is pretty much like a law and order. Dundon. Dundon which I'll now do from now on. Uh, but yeah, another guy that they reached out to is Paul Fenton, who is currently the assistant GM of the Nashville Predators. He's been with them since the beginning of their existence. And I think that when you look between the lines and pretty much Tom Dunn had said it, it's a philosophical difference that he had with Ron Francis. He clearly wants to be a little more aggressive and pump energy into it. It's hard to tell sometimes with different personnel folks what role they have on the team. But if Paul Fenton has any stamp on any of the aggressive moves that the Nashville Predators have made. He's also been very involved, apparently, with their drafting and developing of players, which has obviously been successful. He seems like he'd be a perfect match. Potentially. I think I think the idea that, that uh, uh, Dun is looking for someone who might be more of a yes man, I think, is an interesting prospect. And I do wonder whether or not doing Ron Francis dirty, like he did, is going to scare off some candidates. Dateline St. Louis. Holy crap, are the Blues going to make the playoffs? They have 79 points. That's a point off the wild card as we do the show. Remember when Paul Sazdy was traded and everybody was like, oh, they're raising the white flag. St. Louis is done. The future will be later. They're going to sign Tavares. This year has been written off. Well, they might be a playoff team. Yeah, that's crazy because when they traded Stasny, it was amidst this. It ended up being a seven-game losing streak, but it was six games in 14 days. Their goal differential was awful. They were blown out on national television. And then all of a sudden, I turn around, and they're whooping teams on this California trip. They're playing great. And it's like, holy cow, maybe this team is going to make the playoffs. I have no idea what's going on there. The inconsistencies have been jarring. But the big thing is that Jake Allen is playing much better. And the platooning situation wasn't really working out with Harder Hutton. So if they make the playoffs, they need one guy to come forward. If they make the playoffs, interesting finale for them, by the way. Uh, at Chicago at home, at Chicago, and then at the Colorado Avalanche, a last game of the season that before the season – no one probably thought would be for a wild card on the line, but now very much could be that very thing. Dateline, 
the Atlantic Division. So the Leafs and the Bruins are both really, really good and could finish potentially with more points than the champion of the Metro Division. Emily, is the playoff format screwing Toronto and Boston this year? Of course it is. But as a Twitter user, Yancey60, great, great handle, pointed out when I, I put out the agenda for today's podcast, that's kind of the first round matchup the league wanted. They're screwed by design. Right? They Same are. Philly and Pittsburgh. That, yeah, exactly. And, and also we're going to get maybe a little bit of that as, as Russo pointed out, old Winnipeg versus Minnesota love back in the North Stars versus Jets point 1.0 days. Uh, you know, listen, this is what the league wants, but I, I, I will always say this about the playoff format. It wasn't broke. Why fix it? It was fine. Yeah, you're going to get some matchups like Tampa Bay versus Columbus. But guess what? That's what you're getting anyway in this format. And meanwhile, teams that work uh, so hard during the regular season to amass points, give the regular season value. Uh, now, inst- instead of, uh, of getting high seeds and getting, you know, favorable matchups and earning their keep, uh, they get forced into situations where either the Maple Leafs or the Bruins should go home in the first round, which is nonsense. Parody sucks. Go back to the one versus eight immediately. Dateline, Montreal. <music> Hillary Knight is a trader, of course. She goes to the Canadian Women's Hockey League, joining the Le- Les Canadiens. What a great uh, name for a team. Awesome name. Was with the National Women's Hockey League last season. Uh, is now, uh, uh, she's going back to the CWHL. She played there previously. Um, this, of course, sparked another round of when will the women's pro leagues merge? Emily, when will the women's pro leagues merge? Yeah, well, the Hillary Knight signing is notable also because she's the third American to join the CWHL midseason, kind of high-profile lady there. But um, I think it's inevitable as long as the two egos can kind of sort themselves out, and the two egos being the two leagues. Um, pretty much most players call for this. I think it would help grow the women's game of hockey. Both leagues are, are doing okay, but together they could be so much stronger. And friend of the pod, Amanda Kessel, the hot dog truther, she also told me she's in favor <laughs> of uh, combining them because of how much talent that would be. So I hope it's going to happen. I think, you know, I know the leagues have had tons of discussion over it, but someone's going to need a budge. Yeah, and and the issue is I think they're not going to budge until one league can't get can't keep going. And, you know, Brenda Andres, the, uh, the commissioner of the CWHL, I think has done a very interesting job in positioning that league as closely as she can to the NHL, to uh, the, the Leafs and the Canadiens. I feel like they are trying to solidify their footing in a way that the NWHL maybe is struggling to do. Um, that said, like you said, it's going to have to come down to a, a parking of egos. And since that won't probably happen, it'll probably come down to one t- league no longer existing. Uh, Dateline NBCSN. I should probably say Dateline between the benches, Emily. Uh, Susan Uh-oh. Sarandon, famous actress will be between the benches with Pierre Maguire for the Penguins versus Rangers game rivalry night, the night you love to hate, on uh, Wednesday, uh, following the lead of Philadelphia Eagles player Michael Kendricks, who, of course, did it uh, as well. What are your thoughts on a parade of celebrities and quasi-celebrities sitting with Pierre Maguire between the benches during NHL games on NBCSN? Yeah, who do they have in the Flyers? It was like Micah Kendricks or... Yeah, Yeah, for the Eagles, yeah. Yeah, that was a little disappointing. I mean, I'm always for the token athlete in other sport who suddenly decides to be a bandwagon fan when the community relations guy hooks him up with tickets and a jersey for one night. Um, look, you told me that Susan Sarandon's a legitimate fan. 
Let's have her out there. Stepmom is one of my like guilty pleasures. <laughs> Having a bad day, I will cry every not time. Obviously, she was great in a cameo of herself in Zoolander too. I'm very excited to see what Miss Sarandon has to say. Exactly, and as a huge Rocky Horror Picture Show fan, I will take her out there if we can't, uh, of course, have Tim Curry as Dr. Frankenfooter, which, of course, a Frankenfooter, Pierre Maguire between the benches uh, duo for any NHL game, I think would probably outrate the Super Bowl. Dateline Jelly Beans. Black licorice last year was the most popular flavor of jelly bean in America. It has been unseated, Emily, by... Buttered popcorn, the most popular jelly bean now in America. Your thoughts? Okay. I I don't think you're going to like this because I know your stance here, but (laughs) I'm one of those weirdos that likes it. I don't know what it is. It doesn't taste at all like buttered popcorn. It doesn't taste at all like something that you should crave, but I really like it and I can't explain why. Oh, interesting. How how interesting you you cast aspersions on me when in fact we're both in the butter club. What? I am also a buttered popcorn jelly bean fan. I, I find the, the flavor to be intense, but not too artificial. And mm-hmm. I also hate black licorice. So I think that this is a positive move forward for us as a society. Personally. I, I do as well. And I'm also all for the movement to eliminate black licorice and cinnamon flavored things from the pack. Cinnamon <laughs> well, is disgusting. Dis- dis- we'll disagree on cinnamon. Uh, finally, uh, Dateline uh, Vegas Golden Knights. Marc-Andre Fleury uh, won his 400th game in his career. He is the uh, second fastest to 400 wins in NHL history behind Henrik Lundqvist. Lundqvist 727. Marc-Andre Fleury 728. Faster to 400 than Marty Berdor. Is Marc-Andre Fleury a Hall of Famer, Emily? Is that even a question? Of course. He's got the cups. He's got the wins. He's got the personality everyone loves. Put him in the hall. I say... Is it it a debate? I say no. I say he is not a Hall of Famer. I say that he does not have the Vezina. He does not have the hardware. Mm -hmm. He does not have a Con Smythe. He uh, is in that Chris Osgood territory of being a very, very great goaltender uh, for some very, very great teams. But is he Marty Brodeur? No. Is he Henrik Lundqvist? No. Is he Dominic Hasek? Well, no, nobody is. He is just a very, very good goalie who would, in my world, fall short of the Hockey Hall of Fame. Although, apparently, you believe that there is no debate about it that he is a Hall of Famer. <laughs> he also won Olympic gold. Doesn't that count? <laughs> Yeah, for Canada. Okay, All you right. need to send him a pack of cinnamon jelly beans as your hot, as an hot, apology. Red Hots. That's where the cinnamon in life oh, my should mom exist. loves Red Hots. Great. Right that's because they're so the good end. because hey, they wake you up your mouth. That's a failure. Great. Anyway, here is uh, the ESPN and Ice rant line for the week. Hey, Craig and Emily. I love the podcast and listening since you guys started it. And I just wanted to call today to ask why you think there's a contingent of Rangers fans who want Rick Nash back after this season. I get it. He was okay for our organization. He's a good hockey player. But I don't understand the need to retread the past, especially with a player who's probably going to demand a lot more than we should pay him. I just wanted to know what you guys think about that, because that has currently been driving me crazy. Thanks. 
Okay, so I will agree that bringing Rick Nash back to the New York Rangers for anything that would remotely resemble the money that he's made in his last contract, of course, we're talking a cap hit of $7.8 million per season. He had an eight-year deal. That's insane. That said, it's a young team. Rick Nash is a good citizen. It's not as if he hasn't been on abjectly horrible teams before and been a good citizen on those teams. He's kind of fat and happy in New York. He's got a family there. And if he wants to come back and help out with a youth movement for the right price, I say it'd be a positive move for the Rangers. What do you say, Emily? I'm kind of with our caller. I think the biggest problem for the Rangers moving forward is the restraint in resisting the big splash, which they are so used to doing. I feel like it's going to take everything in Glenn Sather and Jeff Gordon's body not to make a run at like Eric Carlson. Like you have to commit to this rebuild. They have a lot they need to accomplish this offseason. You got Jimmy VC, Pavel Buchnevich, that their entry level contracts expire this season and next season, respectively. You got Brady Shea, you got Kevin Hayes, Nemestikov, you know, is a restricted free agent, as is Ryan Spooner. So I think there is enough there that they need to address that. Look, you're right. If he comes at the right price, he's going to come for a veteran's bargain. Do it. But I just don't, I just don't think he fits into their bigger plan. Hmm. I like talking to him. I want him back. Anyway, <laughs> where can purely pe- selfish from Greg. It, it, it's, it always comes down to two things for every hockey writer. Uh, what, what, what can happen in this game to make my story better or get me to the bar earlier? And who do I like talking to? It's, Why I do mean, you that's think basically how so they- sad Cody Franson is no longer on the Blackhawks. Right. Exactly. It's basically <laughs> how they figure out who's in the Hall of Fame, for God's sakes. Uh, where can people leave their rants going forward, Emily? Yeah. Well, you can give us a call at 860. 860- Five one six one zero two nine, and we'd love to hear from you. All right, that's ESPN on Ice for this week. Thanks to Sean Thornton, a VP of Business Development for the Florida Panthers, and Mike Russo, a, a senior writer type guy for the Athletic. If you like the Athletic and you're not a subscriber yet, reach out to Mike. He's got codes out the wazoo for you. He's got coupons. He's got codes on codes on codes on codes. And uh, and there's the show. I'm Greg Wyshynski, a senior writer. Emily Kaplan, a national NHL reporter. And we'll talk to you next week. Bye. Bye. This has been ESPN on Ice with Wyshynski and Kaplan. Subscribe to the show in the ESPN app or Apple Podcasts.